So I have a question. Did you, do you sing with your dad while he plays guitar? Yes. That is the most charming thing I've heard in a long time. That's so, it's such a cool thing. So today is the Reclaimed series, and it seems almost like uh, it doesn't really make sense for someone so young and talented and to be up here singing about her brokenness. I mean, some of you must just be thinking, really? Come on. But it's true. Every one of us is broken. And that's what the Reclaimed series is about. It's about recognizing the truth that we have fallen far short. And that's the beginning. Uh, You don't want to stay there for the rest of your life, but that's the beginning uh, of recognizing that we just don't have what it takes. And so at the beginning of the series, we took all of these pieces of broken wood and everybody in the congregation got one and they created this beautiful piece of artwork. And the subtitle for this series has been Finding Our Stories in Jesus. Finding Our Stories in Jesus. So one of the things I like to do every night is to tell my kids a story before bed. So I have Ella and Olivia and Luke. And uh, Luke, he's a little young, so he just gets a quick story. But the two girls, I tell these elaborate long stories really long. And before the stories, Ella always says, I make them say a prayer. And uh, Ella always says a prayer for, because I went on a mission trip to Africa. She always says a prayer for the kids in Africa. She says, Jesus, please give the kids in Africa a mommy and a daddy. Please give the kids in Africa a bed. Because she knows that the kids in Africa that I visited didn't have any beds. Uh, Give them a house and help them to have food. Because she knows that they only eat one meal a day and that they don't always eat a lot of food. Yes, I've become one of those parents that says, hey, eat all the food on your plate because there's starving kids in Africa. I, 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 know how, I know where it came from. It's true. So, um, so then after the story and after the prayer, we do this little thing, and, and I say, I love you so much. And she says, I love you more than that. And I say, I love you more than strawberries. And she says, I love you more than chocolate. You know, see, that's, see where cho- strawberries and chocolate lie in the terms of the love? And then I say, um, and by the way, that's a hint for guys. Any, anybody who's trying to buy, uh, get presents, uh, strawberries are here, and then chocolates are, anyway. It's, it's true forever. It's truth about, truth about the universe. That's what we proclaim in here. So uh, strawberries, I love you more than chocolate. And then I say, I love you to the moon. She says, I love you to the moon and back. And then I say, to, I love you to the stars. And she says, I love you to the stars and back. And then at the end, I always tell her, who loves you more than daddy and mommy? And she always says, Jesus. She says, Jesus. You know, that's the, the, the beautiful thing about this life, is the source of all of love in the universe uh, made himself known to us in Jesus Christ, uh, incarnated himself, totally God, 100% God, 100% humor, human too, was incarnated, came alive to us in Jesus, and still is alive to us in Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and a lot of people, when they're looking at the story of their life, uh, they may start to think that, um, okay, this, I don't, now don't, don't immediately leave the room in tears if I tell you this. Uh, you may think that you're the main feature character in the story of the world, right? <laughs> you may think that you are the, the central pivotal character in everything that's happening in the entire world. And the people who are laughing are just recognizing that this is true. So I just wanted to let you know. They're not, they're not laughing at you, they're laughing at themselves. Because they've been there before. I had a friend who once, whose daddy once used to say to them, uh, uh, are you getting dizzy? And they said, no, why? And he said, because does it feel like the whole entire world is revolving around you? <laughs> Don't say that if you're parents. That's not a good thing to say, by the way. It never turned out well. Um, 
You know, that can be true. We can tend to feel that we are the central pivotal character in the history of the world. But actually, Jesus is. Uh, and, and you know the word cross? The earliest word of cross that I know of is the word crux, the Latin word crux. It's just a, a crossing point. And, and if you're ever going to tell a story, you need to make sure there's a cru- crux in your story, or else it's a boring, meandering story. There has to be something of a crux. This is the definition. It says, a crux is the basic, central, or essential point or feature. You have to make sure that your character in the story that you're writing has a decision moment, a big moment, when it's either this way or that way the character can go, and they make that huge decision that changes everything from that point on. Now, Jesus Christ is the crux of history. The whole of history changed at the point of Jesus Christ, and the whole of human history before it and afterward. afterward. And actually, it's not just Jesus Christ is the crux of history, but Jesus Christ on the cross is the crux of history. So, so it's the scripture we're looking at today that is the crux of history moment. It's the most important moment. To, to have been there would have been remarkable. To have seen it. It would have been horrifying. But it would have been remarkable because you would have seen the biggest moment in all of human history. Uh, actually, um, there's a quote here. It says from the Apostle Paul, he said, Jesus himself is before all things. And in him... All things hold together. You may think, oh, all things? Even this water bottle? Yep, even the water bottle. Even, even, even the people that are sitting next to me, even the kids? Yep, everything is held together in Jesus. He's the perfect hero. He is the perfect savior. And he saves all of us, every single human being. So let's jump into our scripture today. It's the story of Jesus' crucifixion. And it's given to us by the apostle, uh, the gospel of Mark. It starts like this. They compelled a passerby who was coming in from the country to carry his cross. It was Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus. Now, I love that the story starts with this seemingly obscure little detail. That this person who's coming in from out of town that's never heard of who Jesus is, ever. And he just suddenly is asked to carry the cross for Jesus up this hill. And they really want you to know exactly who it is because they list not just where he's from, but also which are his two kids. So if you ever wanted to know this story was true, you could go to Cyrene and you could find Simon, or at least you could find Alexander and Rufus, whose daddy carried the cross. And so then this is how the story continues. It says that they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha. Now, the place Golgotha is the same place as Calvary. Same same place, different names. But nobody seems to name their church Golgotha Baptist Church. Have you noticed that? (laughs) I don't know why, right? Just... I think it's because of its ugliness. The word Golgotha is so ugly. The word Calvary is, it's beautiful, right? It conveys the grace and the truth and the mercy. But Golgotha, look what it means. It means, which means the place of the skull. Nobody wants to really center their theology or their congregation, the life of their congregation around the ugliness of the cross. But actually, it's a pretty good idea. To not just hold on to the good, the Calvary, but also to hold on to the bad, which is the Golgotha. Because in it, you will discover the most profound message of God's love in this world. It says that they offered him, when he arrived there, Jesus, they offered Jesus a mixture of wine and myrrh. So they took the wine and they filled it with uh, this perfume called myrrh. And do you remember one of the gifts that Jesus was given when he was a baby was myrrh, right? 
But by doing this, they were offering him a kind of tonic that would make his mind numb so that he would, so he would kind of lose consciousness. He'd be out of it. It was a nice thing to do. Someone was being really nice when they offered him this wine with myrrh. They wanted him to drink a little bit of poison that would make it so that the crucifixion wouldn't be as painful. But it says that he did not take it. And remember that he met with his disciples around the table only about 10, 15 hours earlier. And he promised them, he said, I will not drink again of this cup until I drink it again anew with you in my father's kingdom. So he refused the cup. And also because he knew that he still had some big work to do and some big things to say and some big points to make with his life. This is how the story continues. It says, They crucified him and they divided his clothes among them, casting lots to decide what each should take. So they've taken, he's naked on the cross. He's crucified. We know from the gospels that they didn't crucify him with ropes as was common. But instead, they crucified with nails, which was also common. And the scripture says that they they cast lots. They were rolling dice. They were drawing straws. They were playing a game to determine who would get his shoes, his sandals, who would get his shirt, whatever he was wearing, all of the clothes that he had. Imagine the horrible contrast there between what's happening to Jesus and, and the way people are treating this event. And it says, it was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. I love that detail. 9 a.m. And it says, the inscription of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. Now this was true, right? He was the king of the Jews. But also because this was written by the Roman authorities, there were some racial undertones. There was racism going on here. There was prejudice. There was, this was supposed to be an insult to Jesus. But actually, can you see all the truth that's being proclaimed in this moment? It goes on to say, and with him, they crucified two bandits, one on his right, like a king, right? Having one person on his right and one on his left. Two bandits they crucified, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, shaking their heads and saying, aha, you who would destroy the temple and build it again in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests, along with the scribes, were also mocking him among themselves. He saved others. He cannot save himself. Now look here at the top. It's the first accusation they say is, you who would destroy the temple and build it again in three days. Jesus never said that. The lies about him have spread. He actually said, destroy the temple, and I will build it again in three days. And he wasn't talking about the temple. He wasn't talking about the church. He was talking about his body, which happens, right? And then it says, save yourself and come down from the cross. And in the same way, the chief priests, along with the scribes, were also mocking him, saying, he saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Messiah, the King of Israel, come down from the cross now so that we may see and believe. And those who were crucified with him also taunted him. The people who were crucified with him also taunted him. When it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. Imagine he is on the cross from 9 a.m. until noon. And then at noon, it's completely dark. Just the sun is gone. Who knows what happened that day? From noon until 3 p.m. So he's hanging on the cross for six hours. And then at three o'clock, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, 
Lema sabachthani. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they said, listen, he's calling for Elijah. Now, before we go back, go back one slide. I want to show you something. Do you hear, do you see what Jesus says? He actually says, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani. What does Eli sound like to you? Anybody? What, what does Eli sound like? Like the word Elijah, right? So people who didn't understand Jesus's dialect because he spoke Aramaic since he was a little baby. He was actually going back to his original language that he learned when he was growing up from his mommy and his daddy. He was saying, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani. And then they thought, they had no idea what he was saying. So they said, oh, he must be calling for Elijah. But actually what he was saying is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And they need to, needed to listen even closer to this, but we'll get back to this in a second. Then it says, and then someone ran. Someone ran and they filled a sponge with vinegar, basically, and put it on a stick and he gave it to Jesus to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. Then Jesus gave out a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. This is like a separate scene, right? Down in the temple, inside the temple, this curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was God's son. And there's this last little piece, this piece of the picture that they give us. They say, there were also women looking on from a distance. And among them were his mommy, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James the Younger and of Joseph and Salome. And then it says that they used to follow him. They were his disciples, these women. And they provided for him when he was in Galilee. And there were many other women who had come up with Jesus to Jerusalem. Now it's, this is a, this is this, this is the moment. And the women are watching all of these things unfold. To have been there at this moment would have been to be at the biggest moment in all of human history. The pivotal moment when Jesus Christ is crucified on the cross. And I love that these women are the women who've provided for him, who've walked alongside him all of his life. Who've, who've, who've cared for him during his ministry, who served him. And this is, this is one of the, um, this is an incredible quote that I'd like you to read. It says, the ruler sneered at him and shouted, he saved others, but he can't save himself. Their words were spoken as an insult. Their words that were spoken as an insult were, literal, were the literal truth. He could not save himself and others simultaneously. Do you get it? He chose to sacrifice himself in order to save the world. See, all the people are shouting these things that they think are insults. He, he saved others. He cannot save himself. True. He can't save others and save himself at the same time. They're hurling insults at him. You who said that you would destroy the temple, save your, come down from the cross and save yourself. Do you hear the voice of temptation in Jesus' life? Far at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Jesus goes into the wilderness and he's tempted by the devil. And the devil says, turn these loaves of bread into, turn these stones into loaves of bread. He says, no, I won't do it. Even though I have been, haven't eaten in 40 days. 
The devil, it says, leaves Jesus until an opportune time. It doesn't say he leaves Jesus permanently. It says he leaves Jesus until an opportune time. Right here at the cross, we see Jesus' temptation. We see him being tempted to come down off of the cross and show him who he is. We see Jesus to be tempted to, to use all of his power, all authority in heaven and on earth. Yet Jesus has a bigger mission and something more important that he's going to be doing. And what I love about this scene is that you actually have to be listening very carefully and very closely. If you weren't listening closely enough, you would not have heard the true story behind what Jesus said. While people heard these words, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, and they, they would have translated it correctly, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Only some people would have known that it was really a lullaby or a song. When Jesus was a little boy growing up, he would have heard this song. Maybe at the nighttime when he woke up and he had nightmares and he wasn't, he wasn't feeling very good, his mommy would have come into him and would have begun to sing this song. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Boy, that's a strange lullaby, right? So was London Bridges, by the way. So get over it. Right? You know what I'm talking about. So, <laughs> ashes, ashes, they all fall down. These are the real words to the song that Jesus' mommy would have sung to him, or they would have sung as they went back and forth to Jerusalem. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me from the words of my groaning? I don't think it's helping with the baby. I'm sorry, it's a lullaby. It's a, it's a Hebraic... If I was singing it in Aramaic, it might have been better. Sorry. Oh my God, I cry by day. Thank you for that illustration. I love it. But you do not answer. And by night, but find no rest. And this is where it changes. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In our ancestors, in you our ancestors trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried, and they were saved. And you they trusted. Do you hear the prayer that Jesus is offering up when he says, my God, my God, why are you forsaken me? He's actually demonstrating his full trust in God, the Father, to rescue him. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Does that sound like what Jesus is experiencing? The poor shall eat, he said, and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. To him indeed shall all who go go who shall all who sleep in the earth bow down. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, and I shall live for him. And I love this how this ends. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about him. And this is beautiful. And I proclaim his deliverance to a people yet unborn saying that he has done it. The other gospel accounts of Jesus' crucifixion have Jesus saying the words, it is finished. Same thing. Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was proclaiming victory, not failure. He was declaring that, that this is the beginning of new life for people who haven't even been born yet. And that's us the people who'd never heard about him yet, the people in Guatemala, the people in Africa, the people who 
have yet to discover how much God loves them. You know, it's remarkable that the first Christians, when they followed Jesus, the way that they demonstrated their depth of trust and faith in Jesus was by going through a ritual execution. What? It's true. They would go up to the person and they would say, you know, I've done all of these things and I know that I deserve death. I do. I know that I'm no good. I I don't have what it takes. And then the person would say, okay, but do you trust Jesus? And they would say, yes. Do you trust him with all of your life? Yes. Do you promise every time that you experience evil to to recognize it for what it is, something that you don't want, a direction you don't want to go? Yes. Are you ready? Yes. And then the believer, the Christ follower, would push the person down under the water as a means of demonstrating death, drowning, dying, and then bring the person up out of the water into new life, saying, your sins are forgiven. You have been set free. So what Jesus did on the cross is he rescued us. He rescued us from from all of the darkness, all of the places where you feel like you haven't been able to experience life, even though through this Lent you've said, hey, you know what? I'm going to commit my life to God. I'm going to do something different. And yet you just feel like you keep falling short. You know, that's the best part because that's the part where you realize that you can't do it. That you cannot accomplish in your life what God wants to accomplish in your life. That actually only, the only person who can do that, the only way that you can re- truly receive righteousness and glory and, and beauty in your life is just to say yes to the sacrifice of Jesus. You see, I love this, this other quote. It says this. Who delivered up Jesus to die? Not Judas for money. Not Pilate for fear. Not the Jews for envy. But the Father for love. I think about my little kids. Would I be willing to sacrifice my kids so that other people could live more fully? Do you understand how much God loves you? That God would be willing to go to the cross intentionally to walk toward the cross ever since God became flesh in Jesus Christ. To walk to that place of total sacrifice and total love. Billy Graham he said these words, if I can, re- if I can remember them. I-, I throw these quotes around. It's amazing how they ever find them. God proved his love on the cross. That's just it. You know, there's a story about a little girl talking to her daddy and saying, Daddy, how much does God love me? That's a tough question, isn't it? Must have been a fisherman. You know, he said, Jesus loves you not this much, not this much, but he loves you this much. That's how much Jesus loves you. Jesus, when he gave up his last breath, there was a centurion who was standing there who witnessed the whole thing. 
And it says the centurion saw that the way in which he died, and he said these words, truly, this man was God's son. And at that very moment, the curtain of the temple tore in two, completely torn in two from top to bottom. Now, the, the people had been taught for years, there's this curtain hung in the temple. They had been taught that, that God was so holy that they could never experience the fullness of his presence. That God was over there and you could never enter in until, unless you had everything perfect in your life. Everything had to be sorted out and absolutely 100%. And you had to be from a perfect family and you had to be, everything had to be perfect. Generations of perfection. And then maybe you could go inside of the Holy of Holies. Just for a minute. And then when Jesus died, something remarkable happened. The curtain of the temple was torn in two. Completely ripped. And Jesus says, my perfection is what grants you 100% access to the fullness of God. Not just now, but for eternity. And this is the most powerful thing. It's not first about you saying that you love God. All you have to do is recognize how much God loves you. Because the minute you realize how much God loves you as you contemplate the cross, it's over. It's completely game over. Jesus spoke a little bit of that love earlier that night. It feels hard to believe that so little had time had passed since when Jesus met with his disciples around the table on that last evening. And in the middle of the supper, he lifted up the bread and he said, this is my body. And he said, this is my body torn in two from top to bottom, ripped apart, broken. Why? And he wanted them to know. He said, it's for you. It's for you. And then after the meal, he took the cup. And he said, this, this cup is my blood poured out, shed for the forgiveness of every brokenness, for the cleansing, for the healing, for the restoration so that you can be reclaimed and restored. All you have to do is drink it, receive it, eat it. And when you do this, when you eat this bread and you drink of this cup, every time you do that, you are proclaiming, you're, you're giving the best sermon in the whole world. You're proclaiming not just about Jesus' death, but that his death is saving and about his resurrection and that he will come again. That his kingdom of love, where the poor will never be hungry again, has already begun and will be completed. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this food that we have. We recognize there are people in this world that don't even have this much food to eat today. How could we not be aware of the depth of blessing that you have given us in our life? And so we pray uh, that we would recognize how much you love us. That's it. That just our minds would be somehow able to comprehend the depth and breadth and height and length of your love. And so God, we come to you as children, as your children welcomed into your family because of Jesus Christ. And we pray that as we receive this food in our bodies, that our minds would be preached to, our souls would be strengthened, our hearts would be filled up, and that we would 
that we would be commissioned by you, just as the missionaries were commissioned today, to go into the world and share this good news with others. And so we thank you that you are with us every step of the way. And we pray the prayer that you taught your disciples and you wrote saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.